other people. And that'll be true as individuals, but it'll also be true as our church. So we can try to preserve a way of life or we can say, how can we bring deep transformational change to our culture? Now this past week you received some a letter, some an email, some a video, and it's posted on our website as well about what to expect next week. And again, there's a lot of opinions and we often state our opinions as fact because we think we know more than we actually do. We call that presumption. But in that video, in that letter, in that email, we talked about the parking lot off Farmingdale Road. That's the mask optional parking lot. The east parking lot we often refer to as the office parking lot is for masks required. So if you want to come wearing a mask, and that's really three levels here, we have the balcony sectioned off that you can walk in the door, up the steps. You don't ever have to see anybody without a mask. And that's going to be mask required. So if you want to park there, please do. Some want to sit in the high risk room. It's just the room off the um, auditorium. You can come in through that door. And there are some people that said they want to wear a mask in and out of the building. So you can park in that parking lot, wear a mask, come in, sit down and take your mask off in the main auditorium. But I want to remind you what I said. This is a fluid pan. And we're going to have to shift and adapt. You need to know we're already having conversations about what to do next because in the survey, we are already close to our capacity in the summer for the building under the guidelines of CDC. And we're asking ourselves, what does kids' ministry look like with the size of rooms? It's really near impossible. So we presently are strategizing what it would look like to go to a two-worship format service where we use larger rooms for kids' ministry during both hours. And again, this is a conversation, but you need to be aware it's one that might come up and turn into reality rather sooner than later. But let me share a few things on my heart this morning. The first is this. I'm very excited to have you back next week. I understand due to health concerns, some of you will stay at home and watch online. You will be missed immensely. But we're excited, just not me. We are excited to have you back. Second, you need to know that through everything that's been going on in our culture, my heart is heavy over what I see and experience in our nation and world. While we're distracted with COVID-19, persecution of Christians, killing of Christians is escalating because it's not making the news. Our nation divides itself over anything and everything. It doesn't matter what it is anymore. If you're for it, then someone else is against it. And my heart, number three, aches over the price of this COVID-19 is causing. And again, the action and reaction to it. And what I'm talking about is just not the lives that have passed away, but the mental health issues, the addiction issues. Many people have relapsed and some have passed away. They overdosed. People are losing their businesses. My heart aches how we make this COVID-19 political. And you know, we love talking about the science and that's become our new God in our culture. We just say, well, science says. And yet we know what science says about life in the womb. And if you didn't know, in Pennsylvania, three times the amount of babies have been aborted and killed than have died of COVID. 
And the silence is deafening. But we are the church, and we are in the world. We are not like the world. And our reflection and our witness is Christ. And Christ calls us, remember, to two things that if we're known by, biblically known by, the world will sit up and take a notice. The one is love in John 13. The other is in unity, John 17. And when I think about COVID-19, when I think about the riots going on, when I think of other issues, talking about gender confusion, when I think about the Christians being slaughtered around the world, this can divide us. And this should not divide us. And this cannot divide us. And we have to stand the ground and say this will not divide us. Now, those that were here last week, and before I look at the text this morning, in verse 14, many of you realized I did not mention Devis or Demas. Here's why. We were talking about people who stand in tough times. In Philemon chapter 1, verse 24, it says that Demas is a fellow laborer along with Mark, Aristarchus, and Luke, the people we talked about last week. When you look at Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, there's no special mention of anything, just the name. But Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, here's what he says. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And people, we have to be careful with everything going around. If we're in love with this world, if we're in love with the solutions of this world, we need to be careful not to allow the idols of this world to capture our minds and hearts and take us out of the game. And with our current crisis, I see this happening on multiple levels inside the church. So we need to make a stand and say, no, this will not divide us. So that brings us to our last verses in Colossians chapter 4. You can follow with me at home or on the screen. Verses 15, 16, 17, and 18. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and the Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. I say to Aristippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember, remember my chains, grace be with you. Now, I want to focus, instead of talking about the people like we did last week, I just want to focus on one phrase. And if you want to write this phrase down, this is the point of the sermon, and everything else is around and built around this sermon. It's found in verse 17. See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Write that down. Remember that. Underline it. See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I think about Moses. For the second time, they're approaching the promised land. It takes 40 years for them to get to a place that should have taken 11 days. In fact, they were there, but they turned around and started walking in circles. And we read in Numbers chapter 13 that Moses initially, the first time, appointed 12 leaders, one from each tribe. 
sent them out to scout the promised land. And think about the name, the promised land. Think about what God has promised you. There was not supposed to be a vote. But 10 leaders stopped an entire generation from obtaining the promises of God. And when you look at the list of names, only two are remembered. Joshua and Caleb. And it doesn't say that Joshua and Caleb were more gifted and had greater talents and better speakers. It doesn't say they were better looking. It does say that they said, listen, this is everything that God told us it would be. In fact, it's more. Ten say God forgot to tell us how big the people were. It's kind of saying God lied to us. All 12 saw the miracles that won them their freedom from Egypt after 400 plus years of slavery. All of them were there at the Red Sea when God split it in half. But 10 react in fear. They only saw human capabilities. And here's the lesson. <coughs> Excuse me. You and I have the capability of influencing the destiny of an entire generation. When you think about walking in the ministry that the Lord gave you, you have the capability of influencing the destiny of an entire generation. Or you can wander in the wilderness created for your choices, your complaining, your grumbling, your blaming. Everyone around you is at fault for this wilderness that you're in. I'm curious what people see in terms of how you respond in the midst of COVID-19 and all the other crises that we've been facing. Now, as the story goes, the second time we're there, and, and here's what God says to Moses and to Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 6. And the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, you stayed long enough at this mountain. Now, what God was telling Israel, it's time to advance. You've been on this mountain long enough. Now, I'm curious what mountain you've been on this morning. Maybe it's the COVID-19 mountain. You've been waiting for the last three months for something to happen. It's time to advance. Maybe for you it's a mountain of fear, a mountain of insecurity, a mountain of doubt, of apathy, a mountain of spare, a mountain of comfort, a mountain of preferences, a mountain, a mountain of disappointment, a mountain of betrayal. Maybe you see yourself as a victim and not a victor. I wonder where you've been long enough and God's saying it's time to get off the mountain. Now I'm curious where GBC has been long enough. And it's time to move off our mountain. So here we are. We're in the midst of a health crisis called COVID-19. It's also a moral crisis. Not the COVID, but our nation. We're also in a social crisis. We are more tribal than we've ever been. We're in a political crisis. We're in an economic crisis. We're in an addiction crisis. We're in a racial crisis. We're in a men mental health crisis. We're in a gender identity crisis. And the list goes on and on and on. And much of this is our own doing, our own choices. There's an old-fashioned word I'm going to use. We don't like to hear this word, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's the word sin. 
And we have to remember that just because we rename something or redefine it or applaud it or make laws to affirm it, just because somehow in our minds and hearts we sit there and say, you know what, that really isn't sin, does not change the reality that it is sin. And sin has consequences. We are living in Romans 1. Let me outline it for you. Here's how Paul starts it. In Romans 1, verse 1, he says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. We are called to fulfill the ministry we received in Christ Jesus. We're set apart for the gospel of Jesus. That is the church. This is the ministry we received. And if you think the next election is going to bring us back to God, you are deeply deceived. The church is called to bring people to Christ. But let's watch this pattern in Romans chapter 1. In verse 8 he says, First I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So we see this pattern that they are preaching Christ in the world. In verse 15 he says, So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you and also those who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's the promise of God. It's the power of God. It's what we are to proclaim in the midst of any crisis. But watch the shift. In verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Does that sound familiar? We live in a nation now that if you take a knee against the flag, you get awarded $15 million. If you take a knee to pray, you're fired. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking. The word futile means empty. It means they really can't rationally think anymore. And their foolish hearts were darkened. It means their emotions, their very heart, it, it's shifted and it's changed away from God and onto the issues of the culture. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. In other words, they think they're smart and they don't realize how stupid they are. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They've attached themselves to idols. And it's become all about them and their happiness and their wants and their desires. And they rewrite everything according to their new, empty, futile minds and foolish hearts. Verse 24 says this then, therefore, okay, here's the consequence. When we choose to live in sin, therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity. So if their hearts are false, if their hearts are wrong and their minds are wrong, God says, okay, you can simply have what is in your heart. And it gives us a picture of what's in their heart. It says, number one, they dishonor their bodies among themselves because they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions then down in verse 28, for since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, you know how everything is about God, about his truth, and we shift it to a lie, to our idols, to our truth. God gave them up to a debased mind. It went from a futile thinking to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
Then it makes this list of things, okay? Here's a list of consequences. And ask yourself what you're reading in the news today doesn't correspond with this list. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. That just talks about greed. Malice, that's hate. They were full of envy. They want what somebody else has. Murder, strife, deceit. Maliciousness, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. I mean, look at our culture. Doesn't this describe what's happening? And here's the clincher, okay? Here's what Paul says at the very end of chapter one, and it's why I say we are living out Romans 1 today. Though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It just simply means we applaud what we know is wrong. So there are those listening this morning. And this COVID thing, I'll just pick on COVID for a moment, has stopped you from being Christ. You're simply waiting for things to return to the way it was according to you. You need to allow God's power to innovate and create the ministry he's called you to. If you didn't know it, but COVID can't stop the church. Now, I've heard people arguing the government shut the church down. The government can't stop the church. It shut down building use. But this is not the church. You are. And only when we say we're not, gonna, we're, we're not going into what God promises is the church rendered ineffective. We're like the 10 spies saying, you know what? It's too big. It's too tough. We can't do it. And so we wander in the wilderness 40 years. So the question I have for you this morning is, do you want to be the group that stays on the mountain? Or do you want to dance? <laughs> Do you want to live out the ministry which you were called to in a new and creative way that reveals the glory and power of our God? You know, suffering and evil are here because of sin. I mean, that's what Roman 1 tells us. There's only one power large enough to take care of both. His name is Jesus. Do you know him? Elizabeth Elliot is a sufferer, and she's a speaker and an author. She was widowed twice by her mid-40s. She wrote a book, it was fiction, called No Graven Image. Here's the story. It's a story about a woman who gave up everything. She gave up being married, she gave up family, she gave up career, she gave up money, and she moved into a remote area. And in that remote area lived three tribes who only had an oral language. So the goal was to get the language written to translate then the Bible so they could have scripture to tell them about Jesus. So she goes in and she discovers there's one man who knows all three tribes and all their dialects. So they build a partnership and they have a very deep friendship and they work for years working to translate. Now towards the end of her book, this woman accidentally kills her best friend who's helping her. He was sick. She gave him penicillin. She didn't know the penicillin was bad. And he dies. And the tribe turns against her. 
And they take everything they worked on. They take all her notes, all her cards, all her translations. They literally take everything for decades of work and they throw it into the river. Everything she worked for in her entire life is gone. Her entire life turned out to be a disappointment. And that's where the novel ends. If you were hoping for a Hallmark story, this is not one. Now, when the book first came out, she started receiving hate mail from Christians, <laughs> from pastors, from seminary presidents. And her book was removed from their libraries. Why? Here's what they said. And they were all similar. They all said, no way would God let a dedicated servant experience such a thing. Now, when I read that, I, I said to myself, I guess in their theological self-righteousness, they never read the book of Job. But of course, the book was not so much fiction. The book really was her life story up to that point. At the end of the book, there's a very chilling line that is written by Elizabeth Elliot in terms of the character of this story. Let me read it to you. Listen to this. Now in the clear light of day, I see that God was merely my accomplice. Let me back up. Now in the clear light of day, I see that if God was merely my accomplice, he betrayed me. If on the other hand, he was my God, he freed me. For God is God, and if he is God, he is worthy of my worship and service, and I will find rest no, nowhere but in his will. And that will is infinitely, immeasurably, unspeakably beyond my largest notion of what he is up to. So how big is your God this morning? What mountain do you need to get off in advance? You know, one of the characteristics that is critical in discipleship is, is what I call God awareness. We call it self-awareness. It's seeing ourselves in the light of God's grace and understanding who we are in light of who he is. Colossians has been about sinking our life with Christ. It's about lining up who we are. It's about doing the ministry he's called us. And I think that's why Paul put that phrase at the end, through the Holy Spirit. We have to realize that no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, like prison, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, like church planning, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in being martyred, that's always about fulfilling the ministry to which Christ called us. So take some time to reflect and examine your life. Ask yourself, where's my life more aligned with the culture than it is with Christ? And that's a tough question to ask. What kind of witness am I? I mean, through all these crises, my attitudes, my words, my actions, what have people seen in me? What kind of knowledge have I been filling my mind with? What have I been reading, listening, watching? So take time to examine your heart and your desires and your affections. Where have they been set on? Christ? Where have they been set on things of this world? Where have they been set on politics as your savior or Christ as your savior? 
Now, let me add this. If you're part of a small group or an accountability person, I think these are good questions to go over with them. Now, one last comment I want to make is if you don't know him, if you don't know Christ, then that's where you need to start. And I don't know who's watching or who's listening, but you have the opportunity this morning just to ask Christ into your heart, into your mind, and allow him to transform what's happening with you. He can't transform what's happening around you. But the only person you can change is you. So let me encourage you right now just to bow your head and pray and in your own words, ask Christ into your heart. And if you do that this morning, please get in touch with us at the church. Um, We want to know about it. We want to get in touch with you. But you know, it's really time that you do. Now I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going to close with a song that talks about the goodness of God. And he is good, isn't he? Even when we think he isn't good. But here are some words this morning I take pleasure in saying. See you next week. Let's pray. Father God, um, help us through all this to sort out our idols, to sort out our sin, to see where we compromise. Help us, Lord, to realize that What's more important is to stand in your presence rather than being liked by our culture around us. Take our futile and depraved minds and transform them. Take our foolish and darkened hearts and transform them. Where we've compromised, Lord, where we set aside your word, where we set aside your holiness, redirect us back to that. Forgive us, Lord, for our our sins. And may we rest in you. And I pray for those this morning, Lord, that may have accepted you for the first time. I just pray grace and blessing unto them. And may we give you all the glory and honor through everything. In your name we pray. Amen.